All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Tuesday, December 20th of 2022. Got an eight-game NHL slate as well as a five-game NBA slates. These shorter NBA slates are always a little interesting, so ready to jump in on the DFS action tonight. As always, for those of you who are new here, welcome. This is a show where we go over how to use the SaberSim app, answer any and all DFS-related questions that come in in the Office Hours channel in our Discord server, as well as the live YouTube chat. If you are just joining, have some questions, throw them in the YouTube chat, and we will get to all of them by the end of the show. I promise you that. Uh, that being said, you know, we are just going to jump right in here. And uh, actually, before we do that, just want to make one quick announcement. Going to be making the announcement all week. The Saturday, uh, This upcoming Saturday is the NFL main slate. If you are participating in our weekly max challenge, mini max contests from Saturday will be counted towards the end of the season giveaway and not Sunday. Just want to remind everybody of that all week long. That way nobody loses out on uh, their uh, season-long giveaway, playing every week that they've been working hard on. Don't want anybody to miss that announcement and let it fall through the cracks. But that being said, going to get SaberSim pulled up here, and then we are going to get going. Uh, scrolling through here, have a few questions that I want to get to here. Um, one of them came in yesterday after the show ended from Studewood, and... We're going to get going with that one. See quite a few questions in the YouTube chat that came in early. We will make sure to get to those as well. Okay. Sudewood said, when you upload custom projections, does SaberSim overwrite them after lock and the final sims are ran? Okay. So good question here. So basically what Studewood is asking is like, hey, you know, if I upload projections and I aggregate, but um, I don't do that after lock, what happens, right? So the answer is whatever is left in the my proj column is what is going to be used, right? So if you have SaberSim, you know, you're using SaberSim's projections over here on the right. Uh, you click this drop down, says SaberSim. As long as, you know, um, SaberSim runs Sims and accounts for late swap and late breaking news, uh, those values will get moved into the my proj column and they will be updated throughout the night, right? If you come in here and you are using some type of aggregate, you know, you get like three different sources, you put them in here, you weight them along with SaberSim. Um, only SaberSim is going to update and only a fraction of your aggregated projection is going to be updated with news, right? Uh, um, you know, as long as you are not coming in and, uploading new projections as projections get updated SaberSim is not going to do that automatically what i would recommend is if you are doing something before lock that you know you are not going to do after lock i would come in here you know lock hits i would come in here i would switch this back to SaberSim, and then i would make sure that all of these values are um matching to SaberSim and that they're all grayed out okay if, if they are green or red, you know, like this, um, they're not going to be overwritten, right? We will not override a custom projection, which is basically what Studewood was asking. So as if this my proj column 
is red or green, I would come in here to the top. There is a mass reset button. Just hit this mass reset. It'll ask you if you want to reset all player projections. I would say yes. And then I would make sure that my projections are on Saber Sam only. That way, at least you know the source that you're using is accounting for late swap news. You reset the my proj column. And now, as long as Saber Sim updates, the projections that you use to rebuild your lineups in late swap will be those projections that um, Saber Sim updated. So just some notes there for people who are like aggregating or using weight, uh, different like weights or doing different things before lock. Uh, make sure to come in here and reset this my projection column so you can take advantage of that late swap news that SaberSim is giving you and make sure that your projections are on SaberSim specifically unless you are sitting around and uh, aggregating in the, in the late swap phase. So just some notes there and good question. Definitely worth covering. Okay, got a question here from B. Morbs in the Discord. B. Morbs said... Does removing players pre-build affect sanctity of the Sims or rules? Okay, good question here. So, um, kind of, kind of two different things: uh, rules and like player pool curation. So, let's talk about removing players first. So, basically, what what is happening? And you know, this is like kind of in reference to behind the Sims, which we've talked about. So, what what is happening? Right, is that we are randomly sampling the Sims and we are building lineups based on that, right? When you tell us that, you know, Nikola Jokic cannot go into that lineup, that that doesn't remove him from the Sims. He is still in the Sims, right? So we are going to build a lineup. And then when that lineup is built, if it has Nikola Jokic in there, we're going to say like, okay, you know, he can't be in the lineup and then we're going to have to swap him out. So that, in a way, affects, like, the sanctity of the Sims because you are telling the builder, like, hey, you know, build a lineup, and then once the lineup is built, you know, make sure it doesn't have this player in it. So then you're you're getting a lesser, uh, a less, I don't want to say optimal. Optimal is not the right word in this case, but like a, like a lower-grade lineup than it would have been with Nikola Jokic in it. That is why we really recommend handling this in the post build. Um, I think it's a very good way to handle it and you shouldn't have any problem doing it. So like, you know, in, instead of saying, Hey, I don't want any Jokic in my lineups before the build, we feel it's better to say that to the builder after the build. And the only thing that can come up in this phase is that maybe you're getting too much of him, right? So, you know, let's go to Jokic here. We're getting about 50% of them, but we only have them in about 20% of the pool, right? So I think if we hit zero here to his max exposure, uh, we should be able to find plenty of lineups without him in it. And this is like a more pure way of using the Sims. Um, not to say that you can't do the other way, but this is what we recommend as like a best practice. In, in, in the worst case scenario, in this situation, you have too much of Jokic and you can't find enough lineups without him, right? What do you do in that instance? What I would do is the best thing to do is to lower his projection. What you're going to tell the builder is like, hey, you know, leave Jokic in the Sims. 
and allow him to get into my lineups. But I think he is going to do worse than you think he's going to do for whatever reason, right? Whatever reason your research led you to, you think Jokic is going to play worse. The best thing you can do is lower his projection. And, you know, we, we, there's like no right amount to lower him by typically do like 10% uh, to start is something that I just do as a rule of thumb. That is not like uh, something that is, founded in in anything specific or any type of back testing it is just a percentage that i use what we're going to do is every time jokic gets 60 he's now going to get 55 every time he gets 50 he's not going to get 45 we're going to shift his range of outcomes by five points and now you are telling the builder okay you know take this into account when constructing your lineups and when you pull out the projections that he scores in the Sims. And now let's see, you know, we're going to run a second build here and now we're going to see how much of him is showing up in our lineups. We go to Jokic here and he is in 0% of our 20 and he is only in 13 out of our 500 lineups for about two and a half percent. So that told the builder enough to say like, Oh yeah, you know, he's not, as good of a play anymore. The builder can still put him in lineups as it put him in 13, but this is like the best practice for um, leaving players in the Sims, but getting to less of them based on like your own convictions or your own research outside of Saber Sim, in Saber Sim, whatever led you to get to these conclusions. This is how I would recommend using it. So, Good question there. Let me know if there's any follow-up. Happy to talk about it more. Definitely like a little bit of a different direction. We've been going down with some of the conversations we've been having in Behind the Sims. So always worth clarifying. Happy to talk about it on a day-to-day basis as long as people still have questions on it. All right. Had a quick question here from Tyrell. And Tyrell said, what is that SaberSim ownership tab? Is that new? Okay. So you should see two ownership tabs, the SS own and the my own. Basically, this is just like a reference to what what we think they are. And the my own is what allows you to change it. So, you know, let's say you change it to 15. You can always reference what the original SaberSim ownership is. Uh, our ownership numbers will update as ownership gets run throughout the day, regardless of whether or not you make any custom changes to my own. So that's all it is. There's always two columns. One is just always SaberSim, and then the My Own allows you to interact with it and make adjustments based on custom updates or, you know, manually adjusting what a handful of players, et cetera. All right. Next question here from CG. And CG said, can you walk through a diversifier and elevator setup for NBA on FanDuel. The contests are set up way different than on DraftKings, and I'm having a tough time figuring out the best way to set this up daily. Yeah, we could just do like a uh, brief run through, pretty um, fluent in the FanDuel NBA lobby. I think the best places to start are the five cent 150 max. I believe it's the piggy bank. That is a great contest. The 25 cent 20 max is another really good contest. They run a $1 single entry, a $1 three max, a $2 single entry, a $5 single entry, a $10 single entry. 
I would start with those contests and then I would go from there. I think they have a $2.22. Sometimes it's a 20 max, which I usually like better. Sometimes it's a 25 max. Um, the contest really ranges from like 10,000 entrants to like 15,000 entrants, somewhere in that range. So I think it's a good contest either way because it stays underneath that $3 threshold and gives you like a large chunk uh, dollar value wise, like $44 when it's like a 20 max to $55 when it's a 25 max for a large por portion of your diversifiers, right? So, so right there in a nutshell, we got a $7 and 50 cent, 150 max, $5, 20 max. We got a $44, 20 max. We got a handful of single entries, right? The one, the two, the five, the 10, we got the $1, three max, um, right there. You know, if you're playing a hundred dollars a night, you know, I didn't write it down, but I think that is like a solid foundation and a solid place to start. And then after that, you know, you're going to have to make some decisions. I think there's like a $25 single entry. There's a $15, three max. So definitely a lot of different ways to um, start to play around with some of the different contests that you can fit in. But I think as like a base, those are the contests that I would really focus on playing the, the nickel, the quarter, the $2.22 and those single entries that we just uh, pointed out definitely different than DraftKings, but still a very viable way to apply the DFS profit plan to the NBA FanDuel lobby on a night to night basis. So Check that out. Let me know if you have any follow-up and we can touch on it further. All right. Got a question here from AR Razorback. And this question reads, Hi, Andrew, for NFL Slates, after doing research and having a good idea of the direction you want to go, after you run the build, how, you, how can you use that as so, some sort of indicator that you may be making the wrong stand on a player Let's say I'm adjusting exposures on four players to meet my research. Two of them hit and the other two fail. What could I look for in the app that would hopefully validate my choices? And is there such a thing as too much adjusting in step three? Here lately, I have lineups that gain a lot of steam and all of a sudden just start to slowly drop. Okay, good question here. AR Razorback, um, you know, some of it, I think is just the way DFS is, right? Uh, I think a lot of times, you know, you have a lineup, like it's looking good, and then, you know, things happen in a slate, and that 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 is the nature of the game, right? Um, I think it's going to happen a lot, you know? It feels like uh, I've heard a lot, of, talked to a lot of people in the Discord and, you know, hear a lot of the same stories, like, man, you know, like I had like a really good lineup, and, you know, it 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 was going well, and it just didn't get all the way there. Uh, you're going to have so many of those instances and then you're going to have the times where it goes right. And those are the times that you are just waiting for and you're hoping for variance to kind of go your way, right? Uh, that's the nature of DFS. You got to ride out those tough times to hopefully get to that one time where it works out in your favor and you have a really, really huge score. Aside from that, as far as getting feedback from Sabersim, I think this is a really interesting concept, right? One thing that I like to do is that I like to adjust projections and let Saberson tell me what it thinks, right? So I haven't looked at any injury news today, not really sure who is questionable or who is not. But let's say that um, I think Kelly Olenek is out, right? 
was out yesterday, um, is out again today. Let's say, you know, maybe I think Walker Kessler is going to do better than what we're projecting him as. You know, not a lot of instances where he is a starter. And so maybe I think that, you know, he's just had a bad run. And I think that he's, uh, you know, going to gonna play better than, than what his expectation is, right? About 27 points. Maybe I increase him to about uh, 29. So, so now I'm telling the builder, hey, you know, I want to value Walker Kessler more than you are valuing him. What do you think, right? So I'm going to run, basically, if, if I were doing this, I would run two builds. I'm just going to use one that I already ran for the sake of time. So I'm going to go see how we like Kessler. So about 2x his ownership in our 20 and about 3x in the pool. So Saberson likes to seems to like Walker Kessler on tonight's short slate, right? Because Saberson likes him, I'm going to take the opposite approach. You say, you know what? Walker Kessler has been bad and I don't think he's going to turn it around anytime soon. So I'm going to lower his projection now. Let's say to like 24, right? Say, you know what, Saber Sam? You know, I think you're a little too high on this guy. Let's lower him. Usually for me specifically at this point, I will listen to whatever Saber Sim says because I am giving Saber Sim my opinion and I am letting Saber Sim like grade it basically. So now I'm going to go to Kessler and now we're not seeing any of him in our 20. We're seeing a very small portion of him in the pool. I think you could draw two conclusions from this. One, the projection adjustment that you made was too great and or two that, okay, you know, I, I am very certain of this number that I gave Sabersim. So I'm going to take this feedback or, you know, the other option is that um, I maybe I'll lower him less. I think you don't have to run separate builds working through this right now. Um, what you can do is you can adjust his projection in the post build. You know, he's at 26.93 in a post build. Maybe you adjust him to 25.5. Now how much? Okay. It, it'll only adjust the number of lineups in your in the number of lineups you have. So if you're running 20 lineups, it'll only adjust his exposure in the 20 and not the pool. I think that's the advantage of running separate builds for research sake. Right. But you can see, you know, we've talked about this concept of fragile projection, right? So like how much does a small projection adjustment affect the number of lineups that a player is in, right? I think it makes more sense when a player is in a lot of your lineups and not only a handful, you know, it makes more sense to me to use on somebody who's in, you know, 18 out of 20 lineups like Mike Conley. But I think, you know, doing this exercise for a handful of players in, in before the slate runs in your research type phase makes some sense, right? Test these projections, uh, test how fragile they are in, in the most uncertain situations where players, you know, are starting for only a handful of times and there's not that much data on a player in this specific environment, I think it makes sense, you know, see how he does at one projection, see how he does at another projection, see how much that affects um, how much he shows up in the Sims. So usually I like to do something along these lines. I will test different players at different projections. And then usually I'll set them to what I really think they should be at. And then if Saber Sim says like, you know what, you increase this guy, but nope, I still don't like him. I really just leave that up to the builder and say, okay, you know, the builder doesn't like this player for reasons that my brain cannot juggle all at the same time, slate dynamics, salary, 
positional eligibility, things that I just cannot uh, manage. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, manage a uh, hundred something players in my brain. So I will usually, you know, trust the builder in that instance, but I think it's a really good question. And I think there are a lot of ways to have a back and forth with the builder and get some takes on what you are uh, thinking, you know, that's kind of what the question was really about. It said, um, you know, what could I look for in the app that would hopefully validate my choices? And I think that's a really good question to ask yourself. And I think that's a really good question to get some feedback on. So that's one way that I like to do it. Um, open to hearing other opinions from other users and starting a conversation in regards to that. Cause I think it's a very good question on a night to night basis. Okay. Got a question here from Studawood. Looks more like a feature request. Uh, Studawood said, can we add a global min slash max exposure by position? For example, if I wanted to just lower max exposure for wide receivers and running backs to 20%, but keep everyone else the same. Studawood, I am going to take that back to the team as a feature request. You guys can always ask your feature requests in in the show or in the channel, and we will take those back to the team for review to be implemented in the future. But good one there. Could see how that would be valuable. Okay, had two questions, one from Rogue3, one from Kurt here, uh, kind of piggyback on each other. So I'm going to put these in the chat and address them together. So the first part from Rogue says, for FanDuel single game NBA, is it negative EV to up uniques to get different, or is it better to focus on nailing MVP star pro, and then just mix it up, mix up the two utilities. Thanks. And then Kurt said, same topic. How does, how does number of uniques work for FanDuel NBA showdown? Does it recognize positions? Like if you have the same five players slotted into different spots, does it count them as different? Okay. This is a very good question and very worth clarifying on. So basically what kind of the gist of both questions is is that you know is for for this golden state game is jordan pool in the mvp different from jordan pool in the star position right so i had to take this back to the team to get an answer on so i got with matt on this one and matt said the positions are not treated as different players two lineups that switch mvp and star have the same player but have the same players have zero uniques. And then he said, that said the default one min unique value doesn't actually remove these lineups. You can still get these two lineups with the same players, but different multipliers with a min unique setting of one. Okay. That's really good feedback from Matt there. So basically what Matt is saying is that, you know, Jordan pool in the MVP is, is the same as Jordan pool in the star, but, Saber Sim, like on default min unique one, will not uh, will not like discount these lineups. It will still allow these lineups to be built, but it will only be a problem if you start to increase min uniques. So in this instance, I would advise against using min uniques for NBA FanDuel Showdown just so you don't start. Um, Xing out these lineups really quickly. I think, you know, leaving it on min uniques one 
for FanDuel NBA specifically makes the most sense to me just due to the feedback that we got from Matt here. And then jumping over to Rogue's question, you know, do I think it's negative EV to up uniques to get different, um, you know, along the same lines as what we just touched on? I, I would avoid it, but I think, you know, it's worth talking about the second part of your question. Is it better to focus on nailing MVP, star, pro, and then just mixing up the two utilities? Uh, I wouldn't really think about it this way. You know, I wouldn't try and, you know, say, I mean, it's, it's an approach. I just think it's a very high variance approach. Um, you know, we just ran this on default. We're seeing that no player is more than 45% exposed in the MVP slot. You know, we have five MVPs, five or six stars and six players in the pro slot. Uh, Saber Sim is getting pretty spread out here. Right. And, you know, we're running this on zero, zero, 10. These are single game optimals here. So I don't think it's, it just seems very high variance to come in here and say, okay, you know, I'm going to lock Jordan Poole in the MVP. I'm going to lock Julius Randle in the star, and I'm going to lock Clay Thompson in the pro and then let Saberson kind of figure out my utility spots. Uh, if you have very strong convictions about a play, I think that's okay. You know, the multipliers, um, I don't think they're that high. I believe it's like 1.5, 1.2. And then I forget what the third multiplier is, but uh, to me, you know, what I'm getting from this, I don't play a ton of NBA Fandle showdown, but what I'm getting from this is that there are a lot of viable players at these positions. And I think that, you know, that also does vary night to night. You're not always going to see players that are so close in salary with so close in projection with Jordan Poole, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. I think the last time I played Fandle single game showdown was, on the Thursday where there was only one NBA game and all the contests overlaid. And it was like Luca was just far and away projected higher than everybody else. You know, that is like a slate context type of thing. So in that slate, the one that I did play, I like locked Luca into the MVP and, you know, my feedback on that type of slate is different, but that is just to, you know, kind of an example of, how slate context changes the way you should approach different slates. And on that specific slate, you know, when I built it, Saber Sim has given me 100% Luka MVP. So, you know, long-winded way of saying Saber Sim understands, you know, the different slate dynamics, how to judge the different players in the pool based on salary, based on projection. And I would, you know, run a default build, get some thoughts on how Saber Sim is approaching the slate, and then maybe adjust based on your own risk tolerance from there. Okay, going to continue rolling here. Got a question from Naj, and Naj said, understand that every slate is different, but how can I understand how much is a lot of ownership versus what is just right versus what is just right versus low ownership? Okay, good question here. What I will say, you know, is let's jump back over to NBA, right? NBA five game slate kind of on the smaller side there ownership will definitely be different from a large, you know, nine gamer like we saw yesterday. And right off the bat, we're going to see one, two, three, four, five, six players above 30% ownership here. And the most interesting thing is that none of these uh, six players have a value over 5.5, right? That is like, something you would never see on an, a big 11-game slate. Usually these values are like 
in the sixes and these players are getting really high ownership at that value, right? But on a short slate like tonight, less players in the player pool, you're going to see value kind of condense and condense on where people can find value, right? Looks like Victor Oladipo. Looks like Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovich at 6,100 on FanDuel is fairly low, right? So these are like instances where ownership is kind of condensing but i don't i I think that you know thinking about high and low ownership is kind of relative that's why it's kind of hard to answer this question um you know every slate is different and ownership does change i think that this kind of comes with experience and playing for a long time you will kind of understand like oh hey you know i saw a five game slate you know last week and Nobody was above, you know, 40% ownership. And then now this other five game slate, you know, Luca is at 70%. Oh, like that's kind of, that's kind of high, you know, and, and maybe there's some recency bias there, but I think that, you know, you can come in here you can sort by ownership and you could see how big these gaps are. You know, what is the gap between the highest owned player and the second highest owned? And is there, are there big jumps? This seems like a relatively flat five game slate to me, you know, Nobody jumping out to me as far and away the highest owned player of the night. Uh, Still early, news could break. You know, other players could get ruled out. What happens if Jamal Murray gets ruled out? You know, he's at 27% ownership. That usage has to go somewhere on Denver. Maybe somebody like Bones Highland ends up playing more at 4,900 and ends up seeing a lot more minutes. So, you know, ownership can change throughout the night. I like to use a balance of value and ownership to see where the highest owned players are coming from and kind of why and do some research into that further. So, you know, why is somebody so high? Why is their value so high? Kind of create a story. And sometimes like there's no story. And then that kind of leads me to be under on players at times, you know, is this guy just getting steam for no reason? Is there nowhere for people building with traditional optimizers to go and, and this player is just getting packed in at such a high rate. So those are things that I try to think about when building. Um, I hope you get something out of that and let me know if you have any follow-up. Okay. Question here from graphics guy. Graphics guy said having an issue that is taking me five to 10 minutes to build 5,000 lineups have to stop in the process to make lineups near lock. Is that a common issue? Is there a way to global limit max players per team for NBA? Okay, so I'm not sure why exactly it's taking you so long to build lineups. It's possible, you know, if you're using a lot of rules and you have a lot of min and max exposures, that those things do take the builder longer to uh, work through on the back end. And that is what can cause lineups to or builds to take longer to run. Um, you know, I'm on the pro plan right now. So I, I think, yeah, you know, on default, no rules, no min and max exposures. Uh, builds tend to run pretty fast. If you are experiencing an issue that is, you feel is like bug worthy, I would shoot a report a problem link over to our support team. So if you come up here to the right, hit this report a problem, you can say builds, builds taking an extremely long time to finish. The team can look into it further. That gives us a lot of information about your session and will help us troubleshoot it and give you some feedback as to what can be causing that. So next time you run into something like that, 
I would use the report a problem link. Uh, we just built 5,000 lineups here, you know, in the last 30 seconds. So I don't think it's a builder thing. I think it is more restriction based. And then as is this last part, is there a way to global limit max players per team for NBA? If I wanted to do that, what I would do is I would come in here and I would set a rule. So go to add new rules, go to group, go to automatic, use no more than, maybe it's three, you know, you don't want more than three players group by team. And then I would save this. Uh, you can save it as an auto rule or you can save it as a manual rule. So this rule right here will allow no more than three players from a team to go into your lineups. Um, something that I like to do is, is run it with this off and see if I get those type of lineups in the first place, right? Going to run 5,000 lineups here and going to see how many, you know, four stacks I'm getting. Uh, on FanDuel, you can only have a four stack. I believe on DraftKings, you can have a five stack. So differs from site to site. But, you know, let's run 5,000 lineups here. Let's let these lineups uh, finish loading. And then let's open this up. You know, maybe I'm building uh, 150 lineups, right? And I come over here to team stacks. And I'm seeing five total lineups that are four stacks. And, you know, maybe I don't want those, right? So I can just come in here and I can zero these out and then hit apply. And then that will get rid of those. Maybe you don't want to deal with that step. You know, I think that knowing how many five stacks or four stacks are being built is a good thing for you to know intuitively. But then you can just come in here, activate our no more than three per team rule, and then that will take care of it. Okay. Question here from Naj. Naj said, for NBA, do you recommend forcing game slash team stack or letting Saberson control that? And if you do, would you force a game stack pre or post build? Okay. So going to read this comment here from Rogue and then throw in my own thoughts. Haven't got uh, around to reading this thread, so I'm just going to read it here live. So Rogue said, adding my input because I'm in the NBA chat all the time and been focused this season on it. We'll let Andrew explain more, but stacking in NBA isn't really a thing. Game stacking maybe more so to give yourself late swap flexibility, but it's not like a staple compared to NFL, NHL, MLB. Just because player X goes off doesn't correlate to player Y going off. And then follow up here from Naj. Naj said, okay, but but like what if a certain team has like eight active players or something like Toronto, would the rules still apply? Appreciate you helping me out through my question. Okay. So good questions here. And I think that this is worth kind of, you know, kind of taking a dive into correlation, right? Uh, what is correlation doing in different sports? So like Rogue said, you know, MLB, going to get a lot of stacks, you know, four stacks, five stacks. You get those compounding stacking effects. Uh, every time a player gets on base, that is an extra opportunity for another player to come up to bat. So that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, in NHL, you're going to get a lot of stacks there. The way NHL scoring works, it is a very uh, team environment and stacking is really good in NHL. In NBA, Unfortunately, uh, stacking is not as big of a part of NBA. You can see it in our correlation data. You're not going to see players with very high correlations to other players on their team. You know, 0.04 is the highest for this one player, and then minus 0.04 is the lowest for this player. 
in other sports, you're going to see very high correlation values. You know, something like a quarterback and a wide receiver can have like 0.4 correlation, which is really, really high, right? Somebody that comes to mind is like Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. You're going to see a ton of correlation between those players. The thing with NBA is that, you know, usually if one person is shooting the ball, that is a shot that another player cannot take, right? That is why you see less correlation in these sports. The places that you do see correlation are usually like high projected players with other high projected players on the opposing team. That is, you know, because if one person is scoring, you know, somebody else on the other team has to score to kind of keep pace, right? So not really seeing anybody with good correlation to Devin Booker, unfortunately, but you know, one of the highest Washington guys would be Kyle Kuzma. So like in you, you, certain games, you'll see this. I don't, I don't know if I could find one here. Maybe John Morant, John Morant. No, can't find it. Um, but sometimes, you know, in certain situations, it'll be like, okay, John Morant is correlated to Nikola Jokic at a small value, but a higher value than anybody else. Nonetheless, because when Nikola Jokic is, you know, scoring and doing his thing, you know, Memphis needs to keep pace and the ball's in Jaw's hands and he is shooting and they're having some type of back and forth that is leading to their correlation being higher in the Sims. So as far as like game stacking, um, you know, sometimes you will see that type of stack where it's like a high value on one team and then a high value on another team, but it's less often you'll see, you know, two high projected players from the same team because when Kevin Durant is shooting, you know, those are shots that Kyrie Irving can't take. So NBA correlation definitely works differently. A lot of players will use a no more than three uh, players from the same team rule. For this reason, there are only so many fantasy points to go around in a given game and on a night-to-night basis. More often than not, not that many players from the same team can all get there, but it definitely varies based on who is in and who is out. Sometimes you'll see like those huge Golden State value games where Curry's out, Wiggins is out, Thompson's out, Green is out, Poole is out, and then you just have like Kaminga, Moody, uh, Ty Jerome, Kevin Looney, all playing, all cheap, and they can all get there. So definitely depends on the slate environment, and I feel like we just say that, you know, over and over on this stream, but that is just the nature of DFS, and you really have to kind of understand those different times when it is okay to allow more players into your lineup. And that is what doing research before a slate can do. You know, looking at values, looking at basketball monster, who's in, who's out, uh, seeing how many games are on the slate, running test builds. Like those are all tools for you to use to make these conclusions and figure these things out on a night to night basis, which is why we try and just hammer that point home so much on these streams but appreciate rogue jumping in there and adding uh valuable thoughts there and those are some of my own thoughts on the same topic okay had a handful of questions here from darren come in before the show gonna jump over to youtube chat and start on those and then jump over to all of the other um questions coming in here live so darren said a day early here don't know if I'm going to be able to catch the stream. So going to ask questions here, another NFL question this past weekend, another weekend where I was a good amount of plays, but really struggled to get optimizer to have exposures that I wanted. How do I get exposures to damn near the exact percent I want for each player? 
every time I adjust projections, that player would fall, which is a good thing. But then another person projection would increase that I already adjusted. I don't like messing with the min slash max exposures because I get that message like every time that I it can't meet, how do I get correct exposures reflected in my builds? Like somehow a guy like uh, Deontay Foreman that I wasn't really big on was exposed 20% in builds um, a lot. A guy like Ramondre was only big. I was big on only 5%. Okay. So Darren, not sure what plan you are on. Um, maybe you're on the standard plan or the old um, advanced plan. It sounds like more lineups would benefit you significantly. Um, it, it It is one of the great things about being on the pro plan. You know, 5,000 lineups is just so many and you are going to have a lot less trouble getting to the exposures that you want and really dialing it in with 5,000 lineups. Not sure what, you know, your uh, bankroll is or your night-to-night allocation, but 5,000 lineups can be a huge advantage and would probably cause you a less, uh, a lot less heartache and allow you to get to the builds that you want to see. So that is my first suggestion to you is like run the max amount of lineups you can and then maybe it would be worth considering upgrading to the pro plan if you are not on the pro plan i've seen you know questions like this come in and usually players that are on the pro plan do not have this issue right if you are not on the pro plan and like that is not in the budget like that is okay it's just going to take a little more tweaking it sounds like you're a very hands-on guy and want to be very meticulous with the exposures that you allow into your lineup so you are just by nature going to have to do more projection adjustments and then i think it's like totally okay to like run a build see what it gives you make adjustments run another build make adjustments run another build make adjustments that goes back to the you know build review revise like you are building you are reviewing and then you are not seeing something you like and then you are coming into the home screen and then you are making adjustments from there i think that you know by just like by the type of process you have, you are going to have to adjust minimax exposures. Um, it, it is it is really hard for the builder to know exactly what you want. And the inputs that you give the builder, the, the conclusions that you draw from that can be very different from the conclusions that SaberSim draws from that. And that is like something that, you know, I was talking about earlier in this stream, just trusting SaberSim and giving it your inputs and letting it give you the feedback and kind of taking that for what it's worth. If that's not your style, like that's okay. That is when min and max exposures come in. And you could say, you know, I gave you some inputs. Um, still not getting to enough of Stevenson. Let me go in and adjust the min exposure. Getting to too much foreman. Let me go in and adjust the max exposure. Those are risk management tools that we really encourage people to use on a day-to-day basis. I would highly recommend not avoiding them and using them to make these small tweaks. That could be another reason that will help you get to what you're looking for. Okay. Question here from Patrick small request. Can we get an actual score for NHL? Notice that we have it for NBA and NHL. So Patrick, I will take this back to the team as a feature request actuals for NHL. Uh, The more times these come in, the higher priority we can make them. So definitely we'll note that down for you and take that back to the team. Okay. Question here from Sojo. What information do you take out of the 0010 build for NBA? And how would you transfer that into real build? I asked Jordan, but I would like to get your opinion also. Okay. 
good question here. So if I'm running a 0010 build, right, um, what am I doing with that information? I think it's a good question. I'm going to run a little less lineups here, but I would always recommend running the most lineups you can. You know, if you're on pro plan, run the max, whatever plan you're on, run the max, right? The more instances you can get from these single slate optimals is better. So going to run 500 here just for the sake of time. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to open this up to the full pool right off the bat. Increase my number of lineups to the max. I'm going to usually look at a couple things. I'm going to look at leverage to see who are the highest leverage players. And Porzingis and Brown are two names that I would probably jot down here. And then I'm going to look at inverse leverage. Who are the players that we are fading? Malik Beasley, Patrick Williams, probably a couple of players that I'm going to jot down. And then I'm going to look at the highest owned players. How are the highest owned players grading out? Are they paying off their ownership? I probably wouldn't take too much away from this. I'd be comfortable playing Oladipo and Randall. Um, usually, this is just like a my personal rule of thumb. I'm looking for leverages like above 10 to 15%, somewhere in there. Uh, anything, you know, in like the 5%-ish range, uh, I'm usually okay with don't take too much away from that. So those four players are players that I would jot down in this instance. So I'm just going to do it for the sake of example. You know, Brown, Porzingis as positive. And then we had Beasley and Williams as negative. So Beasley, Williams, just making some notes here. And then what I want to do is, okay, these are like, you know, the pure, purest, you know, single sim optimals. What does Saberson think of these specific players when we take into account correlation and ownership? And how does that change how much of them I get in my lineups? I think it's good to like be a little cautious with the players that are showing up as really negative, you know, maybe for game theory reasons, they come up a lot, but you just got to know in the back of your head, like, hey, you know, in the in in optimals, you know, running it at 0010, these players were not that good. So, you know, maybe I want to be a little careful there. So I'm going to come in here. Beasley, you know, we're still only getting a minimal amount of him. And then Patrick Williams, still only getting a minimal amount. And then Porzingis, getting much more of him. Uh, Sabertim is, you know, using ownership fade and correlation to kind of compound the amount of Porzingis that we get. And then going to look at Bruce Brown here, getting a lot of Bruce Brown as well. So this, I would be totally happy with playing these players and wouldn't take too much away from it. I dropped my pen. Now I can't find it. Um, but I would be okay with this, right? I think where I would be cautious with this is that if this was flipped, you know, maybe I'm getting uh, negative leverage on Porzingis and Bruce Brown now, and then I'm getting positive leverage on Patrick Williams and Malik Beasley for, for whatever reason, right? I'm not saying that that situation occurs a lot. I think that, you know, what this is telling me is like, hey, you know, the optimal 0010 research build is in line with a default build at default settings. So this makes a lot of sense to me. I would be very comfortable playing these lineups. If it was opposite, then I would manage my risk in both directions, right? Let's say I'm getting less Porzingis. Uh, you know, maybe I want a little more Porzingis. Maybe I want a little positive leverage to him. So I might come in here and adjust his mini max exposure. 
Maybe I'm getting too much Beasley or too much Williams um, that is making me uncomfortable based on the research build that I did. I might go in and lower them a little bit. So those are things that I'm looking for in a research build, uh, trying to trim the top and bottoms of my portfolio and make sure that, you know, slider settings and different things like that don't cause me to get too far away from the optimals in a direction that I am not comfortable going based on my own risk management. All right, scrolling down here, got a question from Tim Hughes. When I use late swap, are all my original lineups wiped out? Could you point me to a good NBA late swap video? Thanks so much. So what I can say for late swap is that there should usually be a, uh, instead of pool, it will say changed, and then it should say unchanged. So it'll tell you, you know, how many lineups you rebuilt, and then it'll tell you how many of them changed. As the night goes on, the number of change lineups will get smaller because more and more of your lineups have locked all of the roster positions. If you're ever looking for documentation or um, just want to learn more about late swap, you can go over to our help docs. So I'm going to pull those up really quickly here. So if you are on SaberSim and then you go to help up in the top right corner, these are our uh, support documentation. You go over to frequently asked questions. You go over to view more. At the top, all you got to do, type in late swap. We're going to have a ton of documentation on this. We update this regularly. How to late swap? When should I late swap? Should I late swap my contest separately or all at once? Should I change my settings when late swap? Like so many different questions. Uh, Jordan does a great job of keeping these up to date and keeping the documentation accurate and in line with the direction that we're going with our content, etc. You can also go over to our YouTube channel. And on our YouTube channel, on the homepage, you can hit this search bar and just type in late swap, you know, type in a keyword. We're going to have a lot of good information on late swap. I would always try and look for something uh, more recent. So I think that you could, um, you know, just kind of scroll down here, look for something more recent in um, the last couple of months or so. If you go, if you go into any of our office hours videos, we have timestamps of different things that are talked about, different um, segments. So if I were to go into yesterday's office hours video and into the description where you hit show more, we are going to timestamp all of the topics that were covered. So you could just do a quick run, see if there's anything that touches on late swap and then watch those specific segments. Another really good resource for late swap. A ton of good information in all of these videos. I think a lot of it gets lost but it is still there and uh, ready to be uh, watched. So good question there. Always worth covering. Going to get SaberSim pulled back up here. And then we are going to keep it going here. I see Rogue was jumping in here um, in regards to the FanDuel example about different contests that you can play. So Rogue said that 25 times $2.22 with 10,000 entrants, usually is pretty competitive for what it's worth. Seeing those binks be greater than the $4, the $7, and the $9 for what it's worth. Yeah, no, I think like that was kind of the last contest that I wanted to add to the example. But I mean, the $4 is, you know, 150 max, right? And then the $7, um, I'm not exactly sure what the $7 is, but, um, you know, as you start, at least the at least the number of entries is contained to 20 to 25 as opposed to going to the $4 where you know players are able to 
max that out for 150 entries and take up a lot more of the um, like a entry share in because the number of entries is still like in the 10,000 ish range, if I recall correctly, or it's in the 30,000 ish range, but still a large portion of the field there. I would still like to get the action under $3 and hope that some of uh, some softer players are playing that contest overall. All right, question from Patrick. Are contests softer on FanDuel? I've been playing on DraftKings. I know you can get a lot of entries for not a lot of money, unlike DK. Yeah, so I think that's a huge advantage on playing on FanDuel. Also, FanDuel seems to overlay some of the smaller contests, like a lot. The piggy bank, the five cent, 150 max. Man, it seems to overlay almost every night from what I can tell. Um, or at least be like rake free or not fill all the way. So those are advantages, right? Those are things that can help you um, win more on a night to night basis. You know, no rake is better contrary to some, uh, poker figures, what, what they might say. And, uh, I, I think that's an advantage on playing on FanDuel. I, I would suggest playing both. If you can, you know, take up as much, get as much of your money in the best contest on both sites, as opposed to focusing on one site. I think there's some, you know, uh, nice life things about focusing on one side and only having to worry about one swap and only having to manage one, uh, you know, set of lineups. Uh, that is nice, but if you could have the time and you could get action on both sides, I would really recommend doing that. That is what I do on a night to night basis. All right. On Krabby Cabby said, Hey Andrew, how do you determine if the wisdom of the crowd is accurate? Uh, this is a good question. And Frankly, I uh, like to assume the wisdom of the crowd is, uh, well, well, I'll, I'll be a little cautious there, right? So this is something that um, Jordan and Matt talked about in one of our recent pro-exclusive videos. They talked about the theory of, you know, ownership and how ownership, you know, comes to fruition, right? So usually players are high-owned for a reason, right? Um, it is very i'm not gonna say easy but projections are a lot better in 2022 especially for nba and there is a reason that players are playing certain players on a night-to-night -night basis it is not just some fluke and usually these players are owned for a reason i don't think in 2022 that you should have a lineup where all of your players are less than five percent owned because that might mean that uh you're probably missing out on some really good plays right there are a lot of good plays on a night-to-night -night basis, that is why those players are high-owned. Um, it's it's a, it, I, I would say it's a very fragile object. This this theory of you know wisdom of the crowd, are people right on a night-to-night -night basis? I think if you think you know the wisdom of the crowd is correct, then you would be playing all the chalk all the time, right? That's what that would lead to. But there are instances where you know the wisdom of the crowd is wrong. I think that's why doing these deep dives and making the stories make sense is something that I lean a lot on is something that I talk about a lot on this show. Um, you know, look into these players, like why are they being so high owned? I think a good example of them, uh, this is just one recent one was, is Kyle Anderson, right? From Minnesota has been really high owned the last couple NBA slates and has not played well. Um, why is he high owned, right? Rudy Gobert gets rolled out two games in a row. Naz Reed is starting. Um, do do, are people thinking that, you know, Kyle Anderson is going to absorb some of that uh, usage? 
uh, or is Nasri going to get all of it, right? And it seems like people have been thinking that Kyle Anderson is going to absorb a certain amount of it. He's come in like 60% owned, 40% owned, and he has not done well. You know, he's high owned. You know, is the wisdom of the crowd wrong in that sense? Like, yeah, quite possibly. I think this is why doing research and looking into these things further can give you an edge and help you determine if the wisdom of the crowd is wrong. Um, maybe you're, you know, using popcorn machine. Maybe you're using court IQ. Maybe you're looking at basketball reference and doing these different things to kind of see if the wisdom of the crowd is right or not. So those are ways that I like to uh, do it. And those are tools that I like to use that are all free to use. Okay. Um, comment here from Rogue 3 in regards to the FanDuel contest selection, you know, um, at Patrick, uh, FanDuel is or softer is subjective. You can get 200 entries down on FanDuel for $74, staying under the $3 threshold. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're talking about. And then on top of the fact that some of the contests are not filling completely, you know, might overlay, might be rake-free. That is, you know, 15% that is not being taken out of your entry fees. That is allowing you to uh, – well, it's not, that's like 15% of the price pool that's not being taken out, and that gives you that much more edge. You know, usually you have to beat the rake – plus make profit, right? But if the contests are rake-free, then that is a advantage to the player. All right. Uh, Rogue, thank you. 2X for MVP. My bad on that one. Um, okay, looks like a little bit back and forth here between Patrick and Rogue. Patrick said, what are the sliders for the cash bill for Sims that you don't support? So for cash, we... Okay, so just a note here. Our cash builder is different than our GPP GPP builder. Those two builders are, uh, the logic is different and separate. So when we run cash, you know, the sliders are zero, zero, zero. I would recommend not changing them in this instance. We do not, we want to use the mean projections to build the highest projected lineups possible based on our projections. So we do not want to affect the projections with correlation. We do not want to affect the projections with ownership and we want to use the mean projection which is why sim diversity is off sim diversity is off we will use the average of player scores across all the sims as their projection to build the lineups um so sliders will not change with cash sliders should always be on zero 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 okay uh patrick said game stacking in nba was ideal during the COVID bubble yeah you know when 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 teams <laughs> are barely meeting the minimum threshold to play players and all of the high owned players are out i could definitely see why that was worth it uh was definitely crazy times had got a ton of guys on 10-day nba contracts left and right was a really interesting time for the nba for sure all right, question here from Trinell Milburn. Said, sometimes when I remove players or players in post-build, I get error messages. Oh, I'm Studewood. What's up, Studewood? So, yes, uh, that can definitely happen. That goes back to kind of build, review, revise. So if that is happening, you're running into issues with, uh, you know, getting error messages in the step three process. That is a time for you to either walk back a change saying, you know, okay, do I really want to make this change? Or, you know, do I want to, you know, decrease my menu uniques? Do I want to undo an exposure that I did? If, you know, those things matter to you, then you're going to have to go back to the home screen 
make, make some more projection adjustments, and then rerun. But it is totally okay to do that. Don't feel discouraged by that. That is just you having an interaction with the builder and helping the builder get to the lineups that you want to play. Okay, Patrick said, late swap, better EV in NFL. I realize I've been getting good stacks less correlation for the afternoon games. So I think that, you know, late swap in NFL is definitely something that a lot of players do not take advantage of. I think a lot of people, you know, set their lineups at lock and then, you know, go about, enjoy their day, uh, only check back for inactives. You know, we run Sims an hour to game lock. So for that last half of the slate, you know, just this past weekend, we had six games at lock and then we had four games in the afternoon window. Um, we run Sims for all of those games, right? Dialing in the Sims. I think that is a definitely an advantage to take or a, definitely a spot to take advantage of Sims being run of other players, not taking advantage of late swap and um, some of those uh, dialing in of the Sims that might come out in that phase, right? Like for NFL showdown, we always say, you know, run your builds after the final Sims have run. Like that is in fact the final Sims for those four games. So they're, is possible late swap advantages to doing that. You can also at that point take into account how your exposures are doing from the early games. Are you doing really well? Are you doing really bad? Do you need to adjust the sliders, get more risky, play more chalky? So yeah, I think late swap is positive EV in NFL. Neil said Doug Polk Negrani references in office hours nights. We try to mix it up. You know, we try to uh have a little fun on this stream for sure. So gonna jump back to Discord. Got a couple questions from Naj, and then those are the last questions. If anybody has any more questions, now is a good time to get them in. So Naj said, when there's a certain value player keeps popping up in the Sims, how do you find out why the Sims are heavily exposed to him? Um, I don't think there's a way to like really find out why we're heavily exposed to him. I think there are better ways to test his exposure, right? That is something we talked about a little bit earlier this idea of fragile value, right? Jonathan Kaminga showing up in 31% of our lineups. He's only projected for 22 raw points, but he's only 4,200 salary, right? So how to test this? You know, if we were to decrease him by 2.2 points, about 20, you know, how many lineups does he show up in? Still about 20%. Exposure went down 10%. Sometimes you'll make this adjustment and they will just shoot down, right? I think that is the better question to ask is like, Hey, you know, if this player scores two less points, that's one less shot that he makes, you know, how much does that affect how much I get of him? And if it affects him a lot, well then maybe that's somebody that is a high risk asset and you need to be a little more careful with that player in your lineup portfolio. If, if, you know, if you can adjust somebody by, you know, um, six points and they don't move, then like maybe that's really good. Look, we just adjusted Porzingis by six and he just shot down, right? So I think that's like something you're going to see. Sometimes you're going to get players in just a smash spot like Nas Reed the other day when Gobert got ruled out for the first time before FanDuel adjusted his salary. He was at like 4,500 projected for like 36 points. You could, you could drop his projection by three points, he would stay. You could drop his projection by another three points, he would stay. Like those are when you could tell like, okay, this guy is like, not fragile value. He is actually really good value, and I'm going to be more okay playing a lot of him in my lineups. I think that is where I would take something away from that. Okay. Uh, Naj said, haven't tried yet. 
not sure if you need uh, your sue or what the process is to enforcing that. Um, little clarification there, Naj, would be helpful. I see you are typing, so probably a little clarification there. Uh, really good stream today, everybody. Uh, at about a little over an hour, we're going to wrap this up with Naj, and then we are going to wrap up for the day. We'll be right back here, 2 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow for our Wednesday show. And um, looks like Naj is still going. Naj, I will probably just have a back and forth with you in the Discord. I do got to run. Got some things that I got to do. Okay, message came through. So going to hit this. So Naj said, when using chalk or high-owned guys, how would you go about getting a little different, preferably in the post build? I think Sabersim, you know, is going to do great things with my lineup constructions. I think that, you know, if you want to come in here and look at what the lineups with the high-owned players look like, and see what they look like, you know, getting some Rudy Gay at 2%, getting some Okogi at 0%. I'm sure this will probably change. But, you know, look look at the lineup constructions of your high-owned players. See if you're okay with them. If you're not okay with them, you know, you can come in here and trash them. But a 7% Jalen Duran, a 17% two players, you know, like these lineups aren't going to be duplicated. Um, you know, I think that's like the number one thing you have to look out for. And I, I, I would be very happy looking at these and playing them. So I think you could do some spot checking is always worth it with some of the higher own plays and then make sure that you can get kind of get a feel for the lineup constructions and how Sabersim is going about it. But good question there. Uh, we are going to wrap everybody. I will see you all tomorrow. Good luck in your contests. And until then, I will talk to you later.